When it comes to Packers teammates supporting Jordan Love, it doesn't matter what they say. They can't win. And speaking of winning, could a Packers rookie break the rookie tight end receiving record this year? I think one could. I'll tell you why on today's show. Caught by Watson. You are locked on Packers. He's got great speed. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Christian Watson down the sideline. Locked on podcast network. And he will score. Your team every day. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked on Packers their first listen every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. So I I wasn't actually going to talk about this, which is kind of funny because it seemed like nothing to me. And I guess I probably did mention it in passing, but certainly was not going to be something that I was going to lead the show with. J.R. Alexander, during a Jordan Love press conference, puts his arm around Jordan Love and says, you know, QB1, best quarterback in the league, and then says, tell him to stop testing me. Walks away. It's a cute moment. Is it materially impactful on basically anything? No. But, One of the reasons why I didn't say anything about it was because it didn't occur to me, number one, that Jair Alexander is a defensive player. And the reason it didn't occur to me is because I I haven't been in an NFL locker room. But Pat McAfee has, Pac-Man Jones have, and they were on the show yesterday. And this only, this happened like a week ago. This is why it's funny. Uh, Maybe longer. But... Adam Schefter tweeted out a graphic of Jerry Alexander saying QB1. It became a talking point. And then so now it hits all of these talk show hosts and they get to add their take. But what I thought was interesting is both Pat McAfee and Pac-Man Jones, neither of these guys are wallflowers, right? They're going to they're gonna give some takes. Certainly, while while they were players, they were going to give some takes. Pac-Man was going to let you know. And Pac-Man was a a star for a time. They said, especially defensive players, would not be laughing and joking around with Jordan Love if they didn't see it in practice. Now, let me be clear. None of this is proof that Jordan Love is going to be a good NFL player. Of course, the the Bears fans and Vikings fans in particular got on their Twitter fingers and started compiling. They started typing. They started Googling. They started researching. And they found, you know, quotes from C.J. Mosley about Zach Wilson as a rookie. They found Jalen Ramsey's quotes about Blake Bortles, which were like kind of tepid at best, honestly. They were like, he was going after other quarterbacks and like supported his guy kind of different. 
you know, Johnny Manziel, who, by the way, I still think could have been an NFL quarterback. And I think if he played now would be viewed differently. The, the, the game has changed just enough since 2014 that I think it would have been different. But Johnny Manziel was Johnny Manziel's biggest problem, not his talent or anything like that. But that's kind of not the point because there, no one's saying this proves Jordan Love is good. All it's saying is that Jair Alexander has seen something enough to anoint Jordan Love, to support Jordan Love. If Jordan Love stunk, this would not be the conversation. It just wouldn't. You can support your guy in, you know, they ask you in your press conference, so what do you think of Jordan Love? Well, you know, Jordan's our guy and we, we have full faith and confidence in him. This is a lot like what happened last year when Dal Leavitt was asked a question and Devondre Campbell sitting next to him coming off an all-pro season interrupts and says he's better than a lot of starting quarterbacks in the league. You don't have to do that. You just don't have to do that. Jerry Alexander does not have to, outside of his media availability, go to Jordan Love media availability, put his armor on Jordan, and in front of all the reporters say he's the best quarterback in the league at a time when Patrick Mahomes exists and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts and Dak Bentley, all these guys. He doesn't have to do that. Again, none of this is proof that Jordan Love is going to be a good football player. It is kind of just proof that like Jair Alexander likes Jordan Love. But really what strikes me is there's just no winning. There's no winning because for a little while it was sort of tepid appraisals because we hadn't really seen much. It's Matt LaFleur saying, oh, we have to temper expectations. But when Matt LaFleur says we have to temper expectations, that is proof Jordan Love sucks because the coach is saying, well, nah, we got to temper expectations. Aside from the fact that no one, like Andy Reid did not go in front of a microphone before Patrick Mahomes was the MVP of the league and threw 50 touchdowns his first year as a starter and said, hey, you know, we got a Ferrari. This guy is the goods. He's incredible. He's unbelievable. Wait until you see him. He didn't do that because that's not what coaches do. But when it confirms our priors, and there's a lot of prior confirmation out there on Jordan Love, a lot of people do not want him to be good. Either it hurts them as fans or it hurts their draft analysis or any slew of reasons. They're Aaron Rodgers capers. That's what made this even more remarkable to me is on Pat McAfee's show. They are a pro Rogers show. And, and the company line, if you're a pro Rogers guy, is to act like Jordan Love is not it. Or at least that has been the company line from a handful of other prominent Aaron Rodgers people. The fact that Pat is saying this carries weight. And, and I'm not even saying that they're like, they would do that necessarily, but it's interesting because they certainly could have. I don't, I mean, I don't know if they would, but they could have, they absolutely could have. I don't think they get marching orders from Aaron Rodgers to be sure, but Aaron's their guy. 
And Jordan Love is the guy replacing the guy. And clearly a source of the animosity here is the fact that Jordan Love got drafted. And so it just follows if that's your guy, if AJ Hawk, who's like BFF with Aaron Rodgers, it seems like it would be more difficult to praise that guy. And so it it lends credence to the idea that what they're saying is real, not just whatever. That from an NFL player perspective, the fact that there are an A.J. Hawk, Pac-Man Jones, these are guys who have been in NFL locker rooms. They know the deal. It doesn't just get said that they felt like there was something here worth talking about to the point that they did it in multiple segments. McAfee even joked about it when they had A.J. Hawk on. They're like, we're going to double dip on this because your connection to the Packers and your connection to Aaron Rodgers. It's relevant for a pro Rodgers show to be being pro Jordan Love is, I think, meaningful. But there are going to be people who say, well, what are they supposed to say? Well, Matt LaFleur said the, the thing, and now that means, but that means something? It means something when it's tempering expectations, but when it's, oh no, that's our guy, that means nothing. That is just that, what are they supposed to say? There's just no winning, only losing. And so until we actually see it on the field and we all get to make decisions for ourselves about what Jordan Love is or isn't, there's going to be just this like silly sniping. And I just, when I quote tweeted it yesterday, I could not believe, I came back to my Twitter, I was, I've been, you know, I've had a baby and I've been trying to, since the off season, I've been trying to stay off the Twitter machine a little bit more. I don't have to be on it as regularly. So I'm just like, I'm going to, you know, check out a little bit. I don't have to constantly be checking for news or updates or anything like that. Like, I, I just don't have to. And I came back and I saw all the responses and the quote tweets. And I was just like, what? It seemed like a pretty banal thing to say, oh, two NF, former NFL players think it's meaningful that this. Again, does not mean he's going to be good. We have no idea if he's going to be good. But it's not just what they have to say. It's not. I, I do think it, it speaks more to that they like him as a guy. But if he was showing nothing in practice, especially defensive players, and I thought that was the unique insight to me, that especially defensive players would not be caping for him. And actually, it turns out the strongest, the strongest voices supporting Jordan Love have come on defense and their best defensive players, Devondre Campbell, Jair Alexander, all pros, the only all pros on that defense are saying Jordan Love is it. Jordan Love is him. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I personally, I think that's interesting. But it's not proof. Certainly. Players are notoriously bad scouts, especially in the moment especially in the moment. So I, I, there's just no winning. There's no winning, only losing in, in the narrative game of Jordan Love commentary. That's just, that's just unfortunately the reality of the situation. All right, uh, I want to talk about the tight ends and understanding that there are expectations that we're going to have to temper, to use a phrase from Matt LaFleur, but also I think lean into I think that's something that's really important. We're going to talk about that in just a second. 
Today's episode brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. And FanDuel is America's number one sports book for a reason. And right now, one of the reasons is new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. The Vikings win total is eight and a half. And right now, the juice is on the over. You've got to pay. It's minus 142 to get the over eight and a half. They won 13 games last year. You're going, okay, this is easy money. But the underlying metric said that they were like an eight, eight and a half win team last year. The roster's worse. You're getting better than even money to bet the under. Now, eight and 10 or eight and nine, seven and 10, that seems bad. But look at this roster. It's not, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. I don't want to spoil the segment, but just, just go check that out. Go check that out. And maybe it's the perfect thing to use your no sweat first bet on. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to fanduelcom slash locked on to join today. Fanduel official partner of Major League Baseball. And thanks to everyone who makes Locked On Packers their first listen every day. Everydayers, we've got a lot more on the show this week. Like I said, working on scheduling some rookie orientation series stuff. Um, and uh, I think we are going to do a Thursday show, but not a Friday show, or maybe a Friday show, but not a Thursday show. But I think we're only gonna, I think we're only going to do four shows this week unless some things come up. I we'll see. We'll see. I'm just giving you a heads up. We may only do four shows this week. Okay. So I was trying to set some expectations. You know, one, one of the things that I like to do, and we're gonna we're gonna do this when we when we get a little bit closer to the season. And that is try and figure out what reasonable statistical expectations are for the rookies. And the reason I, I like doing this is because, you know, we can get a little over our skis sometimes when it comes to these players, because you're, you're looking at it and you're going, they're going to come right in and they're just going to crush it for us. And it's going to be the best thing. And these guys are awesome. Well, it often doesn't work like that because of opportunities, because of, you know, any number of things. I was looking at it though, and Big Bob Tunyon got 67 targets in this offense last year, 53 catches. He only technically started three games. Mercedes Lewis only got seven targets, so he's not taking a ton, but is taking two touchdowns. Tyler Davis, who's technically still on this team, seven targets. But that's... 60 plus catches from tight ends who are either not on this team or are probably not going to be involved in the offense. I just can't see a world where you have Josiah DeGuara, Tucker Craft, and Luke Musgrave and, and play Tyler Davis for anything more than just like a token snap at the end of games. The rookie tight end record for the Packers is 34 catches. 34 catches. Luke Musgrave is running with the ones already. He is going to be the starting tight end for the Green Bay Packers. And if that's the case, he's just going to luck into 50 targets, 
60 targets. And if that's the case, he is going to cruise past that number. And, and I understand, you know, let's not get carried away by OTAs and what these guys look like in shorts. I'm not even saying he's going to be good necessarily. It's just that that's who's going to be playing. And if that's who's going to be playing, then he's going to get opportunities. There's this idea in fantasy stats that volume, it's why fantasy has totally corrupted um, our, a lot of people's brains when it comes to this stuff, because they only look at it through the lens of some of these analytic numbers. Big Bob Tunyon played 54% of snaps last year. He was the move tight end on this team. Mercedes Lewis played 41% of snaps. Tyler Davis played a whopping 16% of snaps. And Josiah DeGuara played a shade under a quarter of snaps, 24%. I don't think the DeGuara piece is going to increase that much more. He may get to 30 to 40%. I don't think he's going to play true tight end. He didn't play a lot of true tight end last year. It's more as, a, as a, an H-back, a fullback type. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, like if Pro Football Focus, for example, charted him as a fullback, 40% of snaps or more. If Luke Musgrave does what Big Bob Tunyon does and was on the field for 54% of snaps and still gets 60 targets, he's, he's going to get 40 catches. I mean, he doesn't even have to have great hands to put up monster numbers in terms of catch numbers, or at least put up monster for rookie numbers. He's fast. He's athletic. It's going to be really easy to run all of those little play action boot rollout plays, those, those play action slides where it's just, he's coming across the formation, dump the ball off to him in space and let him go. You're going to run leak to him which they ran to him in college for a touchdown. One of his big highlights that they, they showed a hundred times during his uh, draft weekend. This offense, and we talked about it, everydayers that go back with me to 2018 are going to remember, we talked about this idea of the tight end because it was the question of Jimmy Graham and the fit. You don't need a tight end who's going to go win against safeties one-on-one, although it's nice to have, of course, George Kittle can do it. And so it, it creates things for your offense, but it's not really what the offense is going to lean on most times. It's more about, do they have the movement skills to run the sort of whip reverses and stick chinas and stick nods and some of these double moves where you're going in and coming out or you're going diagonal you know, out to the corner and coming back to the post or you're going to the post and coming back to the corner that stuff having the movement skills the offense is going to create opportunities for you where all it is is you against grass luke musgrave has the sort of physical profile where in an offense that creates space for the tight end does things like go back and look at the 2018 tennessee titans there is tape of Luke Stocker running buck naked open, wide open down the sideline or wide open in the middle of the field by play design, by scheme. 34 catches is all you'd need. Now, Bubba Franks, I think, caught approximately uh, 34 touchdowns that same season it's, he was a, a red zone guy and then not much else. But 
A lot of it's off play action, low red zone. Having a guy like that who you actually can put out there and run as, as a use him as a blocker and then get to your play action as well, that becomes a huge weapon in the red zone. So there, is, there isn't a great proxy for this because when you go back and look, there just haven't been the kinds of guys who are going to come in and, and really, really contribute to an offense. But so like Richard Rodgers is the last guy who came in and, and, and started some games, started five games in 2014. He had 20 catches and 30 targets. Tiny got double that in terms of targets. And so it's not, it's not the kind of thing where he was going to be the focal point because you had Devontae Adams, you had Randall Cobb, you had Jordy Nelson. It just wasn't the status of the offense. Jermichael Finley came in in 2008. He got 12 targets. Now, the, but the next year got 72 targets in 2009. That was his breakout season. No, they didn't have another tight end that had the same sort of juice that he did. But they had Donald Lee. They had some of these other guys who they just trusted to be out there. The Packers don't even have that. And so that's where you look at this and you go, just by pure opportunity, I think he's going to, if he stays healthy, and, and again, that is the question. I think that's the only question. And if let's say Luke Musgrave goes down in week two and is hurt for the rest of the season, God forbid, Tucker Kraft is going to break this record because then he's going to be out there playing 60, 70% of snaps. He's going to get 50 targets and he's going to catch 35 of them. Like that's just what's going to happen. This is the kind of thing where the opportunity and, and it's not just the tight ends, right? Because you have a hundred Alan Lazard targets walking out the door. That's a big deal because you're going to get Luke Musgrave to be in the situation that Alan Lazard was in a number of opportunities last year. You have Randall Cobb, that's 34 catches walking out the door. Is Jaden Reed going to walk right in and recreate that? No, you're probably going to get an uptick. Christian Watson is going to suck into a lot of those Alan Lazard catches. Romeo Dobbs is going to eat into some of those Alan Lazard targets. But I also think Luke Musgrave is going to get some of those Alan Lazard targets if we're talking about form and role. Is Jaden Reed going to be ready to come in and play the slot? Well, if not, you've got a big slot guy who could. Now, we don't have any more reason to believe that Musgrave would be more ready to do it than Jaden Reed would be. But it's more about Musgrave is going to play when they need a tight end. He's going to play. We don't even know if Jaden Reed is going to play. And so then it's, you have that built in. And then it could be the case that he'll also get these other opportunities, which will just make it a slam dunk that, that he'll break this record. I, I, I will go out on a limb right now and say, if Luke Musgrave plays 17 games, he breaks the Packers rookie record for catches. Let's go. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked on Packers their first listen every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. Everydayers, go check out The Leap. The Leap is a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Um, we've got a piece up from uh, Jason today, Jason Hirshhorn, America's guest and my co-founder at The Leap. My piece is coming on Friday. 
once we get into training camp, we're going to ramp up the the frequency of these posts. Um, and they're during the season, it's five days a week. Every single day, you will get an email from us with a newsletter with the latest and greatest in Packers coverage. Plus, Locked On Sports today, all the big stories in sports. Think of it like the first 15 minutes of Sports Center. Just all the big stories, bang, 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 with the local insight from the Locked On Podcast Network. That really, truly is unrivaled. As other media companies cut local coverage, we are embracing it. We are leaning into it. That is what we do here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I want to finish here. Something I was thinking about yesterday as we were going through the week one game. And I got a lot of really good feedback on this. You guys really, really liked um, that that show. And I think it just sort of got lucky. I was just going back and kind of going, okay, let me see what I can learn here, thinking I was going to pick out these little nuances. Okay, look at this. Um, and it turned out to be this perfect microcosm of the season. Then I started thinking about it. Okay, they beat the daylights out of the Vikings in week 17. There's a slew of things that sort of go catastrophically wrong, but by the end of the season, we're just not going wrong for the Packers. And the Vikings didn't get better. They're they're worse. And I put this out on Twitter and I said, you know, what is the optimistic case for the Vikings? What is, what is the optimist case? Because the offensive production, I bet you'd be shocked to know that they were 22nd in weighted DVOA, even with TJ Hawkinson. Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, all those guys, Kirk Cousins, who always puts up stats. 22nd in weighted DVOA, which accounts more for the end of the season than the beginning. That is presumably with TJ Hawkinson. That's bad. That's below average. And the defensive personnel got materially worse. Eric Kendricks out the door. Patrick Peterson out the door. Cam Dantzler, like they're replacing their whole starting secondary. Yes, they drafted a guy in the third round, okay, but their guy that they drafted in the second round last year barely played, and when he played, was terrible. You've got him. You traded for Byron Murphy, okay, but you lose to Darius Smith. Daniel Hunter might be on the trade block. You lose Dalvin Tomlinson. They were 28th in weighted DVOA on defense. It's bad. It's bad. So if they were eight or eight and a half win team, by the metrics and got really, really lucky in some of these close games. Is coaching, is Brian Flores and Kevin O'Connor, Kevin O'Connell, like how much is coaching going to fix it? Year two in this offense, we've seen the Packers did it. Went from 2019 to 2020. But they did it with an MVP quarterback and the best receiver in the league, which the Vikings might have or something close to it. But also had a really good offensive line. Really great complimentary pieces, which I don't know that the Vikings have. And the the case that I got back was like, the coaches will fix it. Jordan Addison will fix it. He's an upgrade over Adam Thielen. Is he? Are we sure? Oh, TJ Hawkinson unlocked something in this offense. Did he? The Vikings were 15th in EPA per play, including playoffs with TJ Hawkinson. That was behind Green Bay from week nine on. Behind the Lions. And that was with the Packers struggling. Like they were still not a great offense. They were still not up to what we'd expect from this team. And they were like significantly better than the Vikings with TJ Hawkinson. From week nine on in DVOA, they were 22nd. Which is the same as their weighted DVOA. This team reminds me a lot this year 
of the Raiders from last year. It's a team where the fans think that they have a chance. I think that team was a little bit more delusional from the top down about their their abilities to go and compete. But it's Devontae Adams, a middling quarterback, a so-so offensive line, and no defense. And you're trusting your coaches, Josh McDaniels. You know, you hope Kevin O'Connell can can scheme things up a little bit better. You hope Brian Flores can scheme things up a little bit better. That's a lot to ask. And there's a reason, as I mentioned in the in the ad read earlier in the show, their overrunners is only eight and a half. They were a 13-win team last year. Their win total is eight and a half. It's because they're between like an eight and 10-win team last year. They got worse by personnel, but they made a splashy first-round pick. And you have Brian Flores coming in. That's going to fix it. I just don't think so. And it's one of the reasons why I continue to say, look, doubt Green Bay if you want. But who you got to pick someone else. If it's not going to be Green Bay, who? And, and when it comes to the Vikings, I just don't know why you would have faith in that. Because the front office doesn't seem to. Weird. We're going to be back. Maybe tomorrow, maybe Friday. We'll see. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. I'm trying to work on an interview. If we can get the interview for tomorrow, we'll do it tomorrow. If we can get the interview for Friday, we'll do it for Friday. Anytime you want to come hang out with us live, we can do that on YouTube. Subscribe to us on Locked on Packers on YouTube so you can stay Locked on Packers.